On the Record with White House correspondent April Ryan. I'm April Ryan with On the Record. And today we're talking about voting. Vote, 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 vote. We're talking with the head of civic engagement at the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. I'm talking to Jamal Watkins. Jamal, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, April, for having me and having us. Well, Jamal, here's here's something that um, is really interesting to me. Um, we are on the cusp of something we don't know, uh, but there is an anticipation of a blue wave. And the president is even saying, you know, he's concerned about the fact that there could be a blue wave, particularly as he's still trying to push this wall and he doesn't care about the political ramifications. Twenty five billion dollars for a wall. And then you have Time magazine put on its cover. Stacey Abrams the African-American woman who's running for governor in the state of Georgia. She has a real chance of being the governor of the state of Georgia. What is this moment? What are we seeing? I think what we're seeing are are a few realities. You know, the black community was really excited to stand behind President Barack Obama and really lift up his legacy. And this last presidential election in 2016, not only did we see disappointment in terms of what took place and the final outcome, but we saw the type of racist vitriol and the division in the country that really took us back 20, 30 years under the leadership of number 45. And so in this moment, I believe what we're witnessing are people waking up and realizing that candidates and the political party system both don't actually meet the needs of our community. It has to be about us owning and leading with our election and our votes in communities to where when we decide we're going to support someone, it has to be about the work that they're bringing to the table, the vision they have for our communities. And that's what a Stacey Abrams, for example, represents. It's, it's the notion that if we're going to turn this corner and sort of build back and reclaim the power that it feels like we lost overnight since 2016, we have to do it with folks who are really there to move an agenda for our community and for the men and women who live in our communities. You know, um, at your latest convention, you talked about voting. The theme was defeat, hate, vote. Is that the whole crux of voting, this, this midterm election? What is it about? We realize that our, our people, our family members, our neighbors, they're frustrated and they're tired of the political and conditions and environments that we're seeing currently. And what we really have to lift up is the notion that Either you're participating in the system in order to make sure that you have a voice and that your needs are being represented, or you're not. And in this moment, when we think about the notion of fighting hate and really fighting what we see coming at us, you know, through through violence, through police forces that are unchecked, through, you know, agendas that don't allow for disparities to be balanced when it comes to health care, et cetera, that part of that means that you've got to vote your values and you got to vote people in who are going to represent the right agenda. You got to vote for legislation and policies that are going to move our communities forward. And I think for us, we're really wrestling with the notion that it can't just be about protesting, just like it can't just be about voting. But together, when you deal with social movements, protesting, voting, but also accountability work and really staying on top of elected officials, when you add all of that up, that's actually the treatment we need to really defeat hate. But in this moment, if we don't go to the polls in November and show up and show out in the right ways, we're going to continue to see the world of hurt in our communities that we're currently seeing under 
the current administration and many state governors who really don't have the best interests of the black community at heart. Well, you know, uh, President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, said famously and for some infamously to the black community, what do you have to lose? He wants you to vote for Kemp in Georgia against Stacey Abrams. He wants you to vote for the Republican agenda. What does the black community have to lose? Spell it out, quantify and qualify. Well, when we think about what we have to to gain, if you will, in terms of voting, it's, it's not just about having a person who represents us. It's also about making sure that our communities are properly counted as we think about the census that's coming our way which actually links to how funds are going to be distributed in terms of schools and hospitals and how roads and infrastructure is going to be lifted up. It also requires us to think through what does it mean for redistricting. Us voting this fall is really going to position ourselves and our communities to be able to say, you got to count us in in the right way when it comes to how you draw representational maps so that we're properly being represented and not being packed into districts where we have no power and no voice. It really means that we have to own the fact that at the end of the day, the political interest at at hand is an interest that doesn't benefit our people. And what we have to lose is a whole lot when you start to add it up. But what we have to gain is, is, is so much more. And so when we think about the notion of our shared agenda with our partners across a range of organizations, it has to be about putting ourselves in the driver's seat. And one of the best ways to do that is turning out and frequent voters who normally don't vote during midterm cycle, and registering voters who have not been registered, who are qualified to be registered. In Georgia alone, that would be the difference in electing someone like a Stacey Abrams. And all throughout the country, when we look at state by state where black folks live, if we do our job in getting folks connected and motivated and actually voting, we change the game. So also, when we talk about voting... You know, um, there is a sense of apathy. You know, the numbers were down this last election. Why? And, and, and are, you expecting, are you expecting that? Because, I mean, we're hearing people just didn't show up and everybody kept saying, oh, Barack Obama wasn't on the, on the ballot. But, I mean, that should not matter, correct? Yeah, the, the tough part about elections, we think, when you think about a presidential election, it's, you know, billions of dollars being spent to attract voters, to make things look exciting. It's sort of the Super Bowl of elections. But when we add in the reality that candidates sometimes mesmerize communities, you you know, we have to get past that. And so in this moment, when we saw in 2016 the black vote drop percentage-wise as it relates to the last 20 years, it basically sent a signal to many of us that we have to actually start to own an agenda and make that be the focus of the work that we're doing and not be about candidates. Because at the end of the day, a candidate, just like any other human being, can and will disappoint you. But if we are focused on the work and the needs of our community and use that to drive our participation, then we should never see a lull, if you will, in terms of turnout and in terms of voting. And then the apathy piece, you know, we ought to be real with our communities and be real with ourselves. At the end of the day, a lot of us are struggling. A lot of us are hurting. We don't have the full realization of civil rights, the full realization of economic equity we are still seeing black men and black boys and black women and black girls getting gunned down in our streets and in our communities and if we don't figure out how to pivot and own and shift the power then we're going to continue to see these things hurt our communities and cripple the work that 
in essence, is really what we're here to do. But Jamal, I'm very concerned um, being someone who is on social media, someone who is, you know, in my 50s, but engaged with young people who feel that they use their vote as their protest. They use Twitter as their protest. They don't use the street leather like, like, you know, in the civil rights time. They don't go out and and, and march and and demonstrate for long periods of time. They make their statements uh, on social media, on Twitter, and think that's saying something. And also, you know, we've heard people like even Colin Kaepernick, who who has a great platform for for police-involved shootings, but he said, you know, I'm withholding my vote. And that's detrimental, you know, when you're trying to get something done. How do you change that mindset in this this group of millennials who, who just don't understand the power of the vote. I think part of it deals with us speaking, you know, truth to power in the sense that what you do on social media, whether it's a Facebook post or you're posting on Instagram or you're sending out a tweet, if that doesn't actually have an impact in terms of making life better for you, your family members, and your community, then we have to sort of pivot the narrative to say that that's one component of the work. As my grandmother used to say, you need people in the street, you need people in the hallways, and you need people in the boardrooms. And we have to actually reimagine a community where we are actually using all of the tools in, in, in the toolkit in order to advance our agenda. And sometimes that means actually having hard conversations to say, at the end of the day, when you do social media work, which is great, that doesn't actually change who the prosecutor is or who the DA is or who the mayor is that created conditions that led to um, a, the death of Mike Brown and actually allowed for you no know, remedy once it was realized that those forces were not actually trying to benefit the community in which Mike Brown came from. And so it's almost like we're re-educating ourselves to say it is great for us to be able to do social movement and social protest both online and offline, but that's not enough. That doesn't get the job done, and it doesn't stop the, the trauma that our communities are facing. And so if we're not voting, and this is what my mother would say, it's almost like you paying, you know, the, the, the electric bill, but you can't control when, it, when the lights get turned on and off. It doesn't make sense that you don't really fully own your power. And so we also have to lift up the young messengers who are leading in this work in a way that's authentic, because there are young people who understand the power of the vote. There are young people who understand the connection, and they also are leading social protests and social movements. And us connecting those dots matters in this moment as well, so that it's not seen as an intergenerational divide, but it really is about owning our power from start to finish using all the tools that are in front of us. Jamal Watkins, uh, the head of civic engagement at the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Jamal, I understand um, that there is a move afoot by federal lawmakers, um, you know, your organization, many organizations uh, to, to really try to stealthily go out without raising attention so that um, Republicans would say, oh, this is what they're doing. You know, we're going to thwart them to, to, to try to get the people out to vote. You know, we've heard this over and over over the years, you know, oh, we're going to take people's souls to the polls. What's different this year? And then you, you also had a study, I understand, to show what the problem was. And you're trying to work on it. Could you talk about the study and, and, and what's going to be different this year in efforts to go out to the polls, to get people's souls to the polls? April, I think if we're going to have a family conversation, what is different this year and what has to be different this year 
is we have to force the folks who are voting and who are active to not continue to just preach to the choir and stay within their own social network, but to actually go into communities and neighborhoods where folks are really disenfranchised. And what this looks like, for example, is in a city like Washington, D.C., you got to go into neighborhoods where folks are struggling to make ends meet, where they're not making a ton of money, where, where crime and violence is still rampant, where education gaps are still rampant, knock on doors, have conversations, and actually recommit to educating and turning out folks in those communities. And that means with us, our partners across the Divine Nine, our partners across um, denominations like the National Baptist Convention, we have to actually become foot soldiers again and go directly after communities in a very local way to make sure that the folks who are most impacted know what's at stake and know who, who's actually the cause of some of their, their issues and really have a, an ability to make a change at the polls. The research shows us that we're missing a lot of folks who literally show up to elect the president and then they disappear. And they're folks who are good, hardworking individuals. And so if we don't actually go to them and go after them to make sure that they're brought to the polls, then we'll see the same results that we saw in 2016. We'll see the same dip because those are the individuals who have everything to gain and a whole lot to lose, sometimes a lot more than some of us who may be a part of a different class, if you will, in, in terms of this voting thing. So do you have enough time from the report's findings to Election Day to make the changes that are needed to get the souls to the polls for this I'm not even going to say blue wave because you guys are apolitical, but you're you're voting against hate. Um, Will you have an effective time, uh, a time that's effective to really make a difference, you believe, before the November elections? Absolutely, yes. And when I think about the NAACP and organizations like ours, you know, for example, we have NAACP members in every single county in the state of Georgia who are active on our agenda. The only other organizations that have that type of, you know, footprint or capacity is the Republican and Democratic Party. And when you look at places where black folks live, we have enough volunteers, advocates and activists, you know, more than a million plus individuals who are fired up and ready to go. Who We have to actually just point them in the direction of saying, this is the neighborhoods you need to be working in. Here are the folks on the doors you need to talk to. Us having our own voter action network where we can actually pull out addresses of individuals and really think about how to micro-target them is something that's at our fingertips. And so in the next 100 days, if you will, as we lead up to November and Election Day, we literally are activating our folks to do things a little bit differently, go back to the old school, actually turn out in communities, knock on doors, stand on corners, register voters, and have real conversations. Because all of the data shows us is that when we do that, as a community through something called relational organizing, which is actually, you know, something we grew up with. If you went to anybody's church or if you participated in any organization in the black community, that's how we get people to change their behaviors and actually start to vote and to lean in more. And it also means we got to show up when the protests happen and we got to show up and act a fool when injustice is happening on that side as well. But if we do our job starting today, as an organization with our partners, with our friends and with our allies, with our families, we change the game in November because it's not a big bump up that you need in some places. In some places, you just need three to five percent more black folks voting than who would have previously voted. 
and the game changes. And so when we think about that, it can be bite-sized numbers like 30 individuals in Community X will, will make a difference. And so we have enough time. It's really about us focusing our energies and focusing our attention and not being distracted by all of the dog whistles that's coming out of the White House, all of the you know sort of fodder that's coming at us in social media. It's about us hitting the doors, hitting the streets, having those conversations and dragging folks if we have to to the polls in November. And Jamal, uh, last question. You know, politics is personal. And when we talk about voting, how personal is it? You know, everybody keeps talking about the blue wave and just kind of making it about a party. But how personal is this? Just to reiterate, how personal is voting? Voting in this moment, and voting has always been extremely personal in the sense that, you know, when you look at the Martin family, Trayvon Martin cannot vote. His voice has been silenced. And so every day that the parents and his brother are walking on this planet, they have said, we're going to lift up our voice by using every tool that we can to make a difference, including using the power at the ballot box. But it also is a reflection on someone like my younger brother who has two sons who are biracial who are going to public schools. The funding that they get in those schools is directly linked to who gets elected to be on the school board. And it's as personal as when we think about this guy that sits in the White House and sort of attacking folks who report the real news like you and and actually silencing the voice of a large community. And so we think about it at every level. Voting is about us owning our power, our destiny, and shaping how it impacts our families. It's about human beings who look like us and live in communities that need to have resolutions and remedies that currently we're not getting. And so as we have these kind of conversations and talk about everything from, you know, potholes to health care to criminal justice reform, there is a personal connection for everybody, not only in the black community, but in communities of color and community writ large, that if we don't vote this cycle, if we don't vote in November, we're going to lose a lot more than just the ability to say, that's not my president because we're going to be hurting on the things that we care about that make our lives better. Jamal Watkins, thank you so much for joining me with On the Record with April Ryan. Again, it's time to vote. Jamal, how many people uh, are are registered in this nation who just uh, have not gone to the polls? How many you're looking at? We are looking at, when we think about just our targeted population in the black community, you're talking well over 3 million what we call infrequent black voters. If you got say 20% of those voters who don't vote regularly in a handful of states to vote, they change tremendously the outcome of elections. The current president of the United States won by 72,000 roughly votes across three states. And if Just three imagine million if people we went turned out. out our folks, even alone in the state of Georgia, we changed the game forever. And so we're, we're really looking at bite-sized communities and bite-sized chunks, but there are millions of black folks who... Right now, are sitting on the sidelines, and we got to get them activated and motiv- motivated to turn out. Thank you, Jamal Watkins, the head of civic engagement at the NAACP National Headquarters. Um, once again, it's about voting. I don't care who you vote for. Please go out and exercise the right to vote. Too many of us bled, were bitten by dogs, had hoses turned on us, and were beaten with billy clubs just for the right to vote. Go vote. Cast that ballot. 
I'm April Ryan with On The Record. Don't forget to subscribe to On The Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On The Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.